Welcome to the Magnificent Life Podcast with your host, Sister Dr. Mongaza Michael Bondale. Join us now as we showcase lessons from Black achievement as example and instruction for how you can live greatly. Welcome to the Magnificent Life Podcast with Sister Dr. Mongaza. I'm so delighted that you have taken the time to join us. On this and every podcast, we're honored and excited to do a couple of things. One, to explore lessons of Black achievement, both past and present, as instruction for living greatly. And then two, invite you to build your own self-development and self-actualization skills from those lessons. And on today's podcast, we'll be focusing on the influence of the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, also known as ASALA. We'll be looking at ASALA through the lens and the work of one of its most ardent representatives and supporters, Barbara Spencer Dunn. And so let me, let me tell you just a bit about our guest and the expertise that she brings to today's conversation. Barbara Spencer Dunn is an executive council member for the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. This is the association founded by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who's also the founder of Black History Month. She served as Asala's first director of member services and in just three years quadrupled its membership. I did say quadruple. In 2008, in celebration of the 75th anniversary of Dr. Woodson's seminal work, and that would be the miseducation of the Negro, Spencer Dunn facilitated the creation of its very first study resource guide. Barbara Spencer Dunn has also served as director for the Kiamsha Youth Empowerment Organization for 20 years. Now, this organization empowers young people to not only understand the importance of knowing their history, but also the importance of preparing to become leaders of integrity. Spencer Dunn was appointed a commissioner to the Maryland Commission on African-American History and Culture in 2014 and is the author of three books, each of which helps to prepare historically informed African-American youth including the book that we'll spend some time talking about today, a couple of books, actually. One is entitled Before and Beyond the Niagara Movement, As the Youth See It. Big, big welcome to you, Barbara. Welcome. So glad you are able to come to join us today as we consider your publications, your work with youth, and the foundational influence of Asala in your professional life and the contribution that this association has made to Black communities and is making to the world. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you, and I'm happy to be here. Well, listen, you know, on the Magnificent Life podcast, we focus on actually giving our audience tools, information, inspiration for living a magnificent life. I couldn't think of a topic, a subject more fitting than to unveil two things, what you do in the way of your personal authorship and how it has been influenced by this great and grand association that studies African-American life and history. So let's start today with you just talking about some of your work, and then we'll get to the root of it that is Asala, because you occur to me as an example of Asala in full bloom. And I think the audience will understand a little better what we mean by that as we move into this conversation. Well, you know what, it it really is a good place to start because growing up in Amarillo, Texas, I did not realize that my background was going to lead me to Asala and Carter G. Woodson until I was much older. 
And growing up in that small town, my mom and dad, who were excellent parents, you know, they sheltered us. And I actually, our community sheltered us because I was growing up in the 50s. Okay. And we were growing up in a time of great concern. But I, we lived in a neighborhood where we all lived on one side of the track. All the African-Americans lived on one side of the track. But our community did so much for us to help us to grow up knowing who we were before we engaged in a society that tried to tell us something different. And so mm -hmm. I really thank God for my father and mother because my father was a pastor. Mm -hmm. He pastored a church for 36 years, but he was also a scholar historian. So on his shelf, uh, one day I walked past and I saw this book, Miseducation of the Negro, sitting on his shelf. And it caught my eye. I was only 11 years old. Wow. And I pulled it off the shelf and I said, Dad, what is this about? And he told me to read the book and then come to him with any questions. And can you imagine someone telling their 11-year-old daughter to read The Miseducation of the Negro? But my dad knew something about me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I did just that. And I will tell you, reading Carter G. Woodson at age 11, but in a house with a man who my father was a historian, a scholar, it really changed my thinking. And it mixed with me growing up in a spiritual environment where I had really studied the Bible. I learned a lot when I was reading it because I, I saw a lot of Dr. Woodson's writings coming right from the word of God, which was very interesting to me. So when I fast forward to how I ended up on the doorstep of Asala years later at 50 years old, all of this comes together and into play. So perfect. This is also, I say, divine. No coincidences. I totally agree. You know, the writing of the Before and Beyond really was because my upbringing and all that I learned and growing up, how important it was for people to know their history. As I traveled around through the country and then even across the seas, because my husband of now 50 years, we celebrated our 50th wow. anniversary last year, Carl Dunn. He was a, a childhood sweetheart. We grew up in the neighborhood together. Oh and he was in the military, so we actually lived in the Philippines as well. Okay. But everywhere okay. I've gone, I've learned that a lot of people really don't know the history. And of course, that goes back to the school system who really doesn't teach it. But I was fortunate to grow up in a neighborhood that I was getting my history. And also through my household, I was also getting my history. Absolutely. But I learned that that is a missing piece today. People that don't know who they are through the knowledge of their history and even through their family history, it leaves a great void in their lives. It leaves a great void in how they interact with the world. So the reason I wrote Before and Beyond and I wrote it in a format that was easy to follow. It's a lesson plan. So a teacher could pick it up and begin teaching. But also a parent could take it into the household and use it. But I also wrote it where a young person that ran across this book with the DVD and his visual, uh, having four students talk about the history of the United States, look at real facts, but then analyze it through their eyes. I used four of the Kiyomsha youth to do that piece. I wrote this book so that anybody's hands that touched it mm -hmm. would be blessed to start to understand what this United States was built on and see it in their own relationship with the rest of the world. 
So, so you've provided it in a, in a, a number of formats, if I'm understanding you correctly. You have the written book, you have the DVDs as well that people can visually view and learn from. Is that accurate? That's correct. See, that's wisdom right there. Yeah. And it's also in ebook form for those that have gotten Perfect. where they don't want to use a book anymore. <laughs> gotcha. So tell me, what is it that a person can expect to gather from the publication? Well, one of the things they will gather is they will learn the history of this United States. One of the things that I add in here was a timeline of historic events. And mm-hmm. I chose events that if they're not talked about fully in the book, it will bring somebody to want to research that particular episode because it touches just enough to make you wonder. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I really have promoted all my life is self-study because that's what my parents taught us. Mm-hmm. They taught us, you're not, they said, my dad once said to us, as long as you're living, you are learning. Mm-hmm. When you stop learning, you aren't living anymore. Even if you're walking around on this earth, you're, you're not living. So I am a lifelong student. And I think all of us should think like that. So this book was written in ways that people will be encouraged to study more for themselves. So when they learn about a section, like, I have goals in the book. There are activities in the book. There's a did you know. And that did you know fact doesn't relate to anything in the book. It's just another planted seed so that when people say, they did you know, and then I answer that question, it gives them something else to want to think about. So the did you know section kind of fills in the gaps or that fills in and, and, and is intended to inspire curiosity about not just more of what you spoke about or written, wrote about in the book, but what wasn't addressed at all. Exactly. So now give us an example. Give us an example of an event, of a subject matter that you talk about in the book. And is it correct to assume you said the history of the United States? So does it begin chronologically in, in 1776 or? It does not. Okay. You know, I take you back to Africa. In order to talk about the history of the United States, because our ancestors who were stolen from Africa are here, you really can't talk about the history of the United States without talking about Ooh, the <laughs> That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Okay, so give us an example. And then would love to get an idea of the span, the chrono, since we're talking history, what span are we talking about in history? So, for instance, with the Did You Knows. Okay, one of the Did You Knows is Fort Mose, located in a salt marsh north of St. Augustine, Florida, is the first Black settlement in Northern American colonies. And then the trivia says, what is this settlement's relationship to the Underground Railroad? Mm. Yeah, so, so that a seed is planted now. People will be like, okay, that is some information maybe they didn't know. But now it forces them, mm, maybe I'll go study a little more about that. Relational history is what I hear you actually guiding people to. You know, like connecting the dots, connecting the puzzle pieces so that folks get a more, a fuller and a more complete sketch of the history. This is exactly what I'm doing with this Mm -hmm. relational history. I am really getting people because I talk a lot about connecting the dots and you just use that term Mm -hmm. in my book. I talk about connecting the dots because every single person has a history. And all of us connected to the bigger picture of history. But each of us have a place in that history and each of us have a purpose for being here. So I'm really trying to get people to get in touch with that purpose that they're here for. 
And so each piece of this is going to lead each of us somewhere differently because of who we are in the bigger picture. Tell that person who is listening now, that parent, that teacher, that grandparent, perhaps that young mother or father, tell us one of the outcomes that you would project stem from actually reading the book, sharing the book, working through the book. What is it that they might know, see, experience differently about their young person? Well, one of the, and I'm glad you asked that question because one of the things that is a real highlight of this book is along with teaching the history, there is a character development element to this book. That's that's what I'm. Ooh, that's what I've been waiting to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's one of the most important pieces because yeah. I, I love a a quote that that uh, Martin Luther King made. He said, "Character and intelligence that should be the goal of education." I love that quote. I love it with you. We do not need Mm -hmm. any more very intelligent people who do not have character. Part of the problem in this country is character. So one of the things I do in this book, and that comes from my biblical background, I actually put throughout this book a lot of biblical principles that are written in a way that can meet people where they are. And I'll tell you a story about how I learned to do that. Because this book is written in a way that it can go from the schoolhouse to the church house and everywhere in between. And I learned to do that because of some wisdom my dad gave me years ago. And he told this to me and both of my sisters. Mm-hmm. He told us to study Jesus in the Bible. Watch how he interacted with everyone he interacted with. He used the language for the grapevine when he was talking about people growing. <laughs> he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. When he met the woman at the well, he talked about living water. She was looking for water. When he met the fisherman, he talked. To, he gave the fisherman a fishers of men. And so what I've learned to do in my life, which is very important, you have to meet people where they are mm-hmm. because you would turn them off. They won't even be able to listen to you if you don't meet them. Sometimes before you start ministering somebody, you might have to buy them a sandwich because they might be too hungry to even hear you. The whole element of meeting people where they are it's a big piece of this training. So that that is the goal. When you look through here, even say, I'll give you an example. One of the examples that I give in here is how you break a bad habit. So put off and a put on concept. That's directly a concept, a biblical concept. Mm-hmm. But it's very relative to us. So for instance, if you steal, you have to stop stealing. But not only do you stop stealing, you put that off. Then you have to put on hard work. Mm-hmm. And serving others. And you have to fulfill it with something else so that you didn't just stop stealing. Because if you just stop stealing, when the time comes to get the opportunity to steal again, you're going to do that. You know, meeting people where they are is such an important concept in education and information sharing, because you the point is not simply to speak, but to be heard. And so to speak in such a way that, you know, folks are hearing you in their quote unquote language, I'm doing air quotes here, is exactly on point. How do you respond to people? You said you have lots of biblical references and inspirations um, from the from Christianity. How would you say this book fares with folks who are not Christian? Well, see, and that's the whole point. When you read this book, you won't even recognize that really mm-hmm. because they are principles. They are biblical principles, but mm-hmm. they are relative to everybody. Universal. That's why a school yeah. system can adopt this book. 
It's oh, like I, I explained it. about breaking the bad habits. I love it. Putting yes. on and putting off. But I learned that from my biblical background. Mm-hmm. But I am very aware of where people are in life. So I wrote this book in a way that it can go everywhere. You asked me the question, too, about where this book starts. The timeline that I wrote. It's very appropriate for us to be talking about this this year and today, mm. because this year marked the 400th anniversary of 1619, 1619. when Angola was stolen from Africa and brought to the English colony of Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's where my timeline starts. Okay, great. For those of our listeners who are not quite uh, clear as to the significance of the 1619, that is the date uh, historians agree upon, essentially, where the first group of Africans who were captured and brought to this country arrived. So from Angola. They mm -hmm. had been here before, but the ones that were captured from Angola and brought to the English colony of Virginia. And while there had been other Africans brought before here and there, this is the recognized date time location. So there's a there's lots of convergence around that date, particularly given that it's 400 years from uh, this year in which we were making this recording. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so because, and, and really I wrote this book first, I re- just published it in 2011 in this format, but it was written in 1992. Mm-hmm. And what's really mm-hmm. interesting about that, nothing had to change in it because it was historical information And you just add to the history as it moves along. So when you talk about 1619, the way I connect back to Africa, one of the activities in the book is for you to connect with an African country, have them to look at their history in 1619 forward, share with you as a United States uh, citizen from Africa, and you share with them what was going on, those timelines, and you will see how things that were going on in Africa very much related to us being stolen and brought here at the same time. Do, do you give readers an, a hint and, and support and direction for how to connect with someone in Africa? I do. Oh, oh girl, I you, I, see, that's why I love you. That's why you're on this show. Don't make me have <laughs> church on this microphone. <laughs> I, didn't make, I didn't make anything hard in this book. Very the only good. thing that's going to be hard for people if they aren't ready to know the truth. And that's my goal. It's hoping that people are ready to hear the truth, to recognize this truth, start sharing the truth and living by the truth, especially families, because there are a lot of our families who have things in the family that they have not shared. The real father or mother of a child, you know, things that we have kept secret. Mm-hmm. And it's really mm-hmm. time. it's time for us to stop that. Because there are times in our lives, say, for instance, a medical situation or things that people need to know who they are. Absolutely. I'm hoping that everyone that picks up and read this book and go through the activities for themselves, because I challenge parents before you give your child the workbook that goes with this training with a purpose, Mm -hmm. you do the workbook yourself. There you go. Yeah, so you understand what they're going to receive from it because Mm -hmm. it's a really powerful experience. This would be powerful for a group of parents, for a community, for an organization that is concerned about its youth to actually work through. It sounds like a great catalyst for doing that internal work. So you've published this book and it has been accepted and implemented far and wide. Can you give our audience an idea of who is actually using this as supplemental curriculum information, what school systems and what have you? Well, I know that Prince George's County Public Schools adopted it as a supplemental resource for teaching American history Mm -hmm. because it it infuses the missing pieces because 
African-American history is American history. It's just been left out, ignored, sometimes mm-hmm. distorted, but it is American history. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. the biggest place that has been used is, you know, in community centers and churches like Kiamsha Youth Empowerment Organization, uh, you mentioned earlier, I served for 20 years as the director, 10 years, then executive director mm-hmm. uh, for the other 10 of this youth empowerment organization founded by Dorothy F. Bailey, who is a citizen of Prince George's County, very well-known political leader. She also served on the executive council of Asala, which is the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History. Mrs. Bailey wrote this book, and when she wrote the book, she actually came to me. Uh, we had been friends for years. We met on the Boys and Cl- Girls Club uh, football field in District Heights, Maryland, when our sons, who are now 50, were only eight years old. <laughs> Barbara, can I, can I just help the audience transition with us? Because we're moving from the book that you wrote, from that title, to understanding better how it is that this particular piece can serve communities and others. And so it was through the uh, activity of Kiamsha that this book that you wrote began to get widespread attention. Exactly. And so, so, so it's through the Kiamsha. So we're sex, hang, hang with this audience. You know, we got places to go and things to do. We just turned a curve here. And so we're going to introduce you now to this empowerment organization, Kiamsha, which again is one of the platforms that Barbara has used to affect and transform communities in the world. So what is Kiamsha? Kiamsha is a youth empowerment organization that uh, empowers young people to be peer mentors to their own age group. Kiamsha is Swahili for that which awakens me. And their, their actual mission is use history, peer and intergenerational interaction to empower youth to abstain from premarital sex, violence, prejudice. And that's through knowing your history. So wait a minute. So... This is the magic and the bounty of Kiamsha from my listening, that you have an organization that is looking through the portal of history to empower young people, but then attaching it to character building. Yes. Read that one more time, the mission of Kiamsha. Use history, peer, and intergenerational interaction to empower youth to abstain from premarital sex, Drugs, violence, and prejudice. Listen, this is a this is the closest thing I say we're going to get to a theoretical panacea for our young people. Please tell me more. Play, tell us more. <laughs> what is very empowering because when Mrs. Bailey came to me, I had just two months before completed writing this book. I had no idea how God was going to use this. I had been writing it since 1986. When I was impacted by a lot of young men that I knew, Black men, is when uh, Black-on-Black crime started. I was asking for a way to reach the young people. So because the justice system has been so difficult for our people, and I knew it was the law that kept our ancestors enslaved, but what I saw was how our ancestors used history to inform law. Mm -hmm. And history has always been so important. So I said to myself then... I have got to start reaching young people with the knowledge of the history because they're not getting it in the schools and a lot of times not in their homes, but also it will help build their character because once they know who they are, 
they will mm. not do some of the things they are doing. And I felt that strongly in my heart. I knew that was a fact. Yes, the great, the grand, the capable. Yes. All of that, which is often silently uh, extracted as possibility for our young people, knowing that and having them hear that and know the source of that through the demonstrations of history is a very, very powerful process of self-regard. What are some of the things, the activities of Kiamsha? Well, Kiamsha's curriculum is this book. I see. Yes. So that's what happened when Ms. Bailey came to me. I was, it was an uh, aha moment. I was like, okay. Match made in heaven. The last five years writing this. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I took that as that's where you're going to use it. I want to pause in this moment, excuse me, but I just want our, our listeners to, to get what was just given as an example of how when you step forward and when you move on your own energy and your inspiration, when you do that which you are called to do, which you actually honor that which you know you are to bring into this world, you know, that thing that's been kind of in your ear and in your heart and you can't quite know exactly what's going to happen to it. That's the thing that I hear you describing, Barbara, that you were obedient to. That's the voice right. that caused you to just keep writing. And you wrote for a long time. And, and when you were done, I'm going to say precisely when you were, you were done, like two months after you met the outlet for, yeah. for the genius and the contribution that you would bring to the world. So please hear that. Yeah, our audience. Yes, yes. No idea what's going to happen because when I tell you about that journey, you know, that was 1992, Kiamsha was conceived and founded by Dorothy Bailey. Mm -hmm. She needed someone to direct the program because the first grant she got was just to do a conference. And and, and Dorothy says that all the time she had no idea it would last this long, Mm -hmm. but we didn't know what God was doing. So he connected us for that point. And I had this curriculum and that week she told me she didn't quite know exactly how she wanted to do it, but she gave me the opportunity to come up with the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there it is. So I, I took this curriculum to the young people from 92, from 93, because it was the end of the conference and into the next year from 93 until 2000, I directed the program and it was just me in front of the young people. I, I was 42 at the time. Mm-hmm. And the young people we were reaching were ninth through 12th graders. Okay. And so I empowered the next group of young people to then who were alumni to start leading the group as directing it. And I became executive director. Mm -hmm. So I served the next 10 years as executive director while I guided the alumni to guide the ninth through 12th graders. So it's a very intergenerational interaction here. And that's the same model that has taken place over the years to the fact that in 2013, the torch was passed to Renata Johnson, who joined Kiamsha at ninth grade, who mm-hmm. is now the executive director, and alumni have come back to help her continue. And Kiamsha continues to this day, led by alumni. It's very, wow. very powerful. I've had the pleasure of meeting Renata, and she is just such a class act in terms of representing who we are, who our youth are, how young young adults. Uh, reach back and actually follow the traditions of our culture, African culture, that calls one to teach as they lead. And so what a wonderful model, uh, organizational model for um, succession. 
Yes. And that's exactly from the beginning. I was doing succession planning and I didn't think of that on my own. I grew up in a neighborhood that was always doing succession planning. They were always preparing the young people to take the lead. You don't see enough of that now. So my, my mindset was always there to do succession planning. So what's really neat about it, too, and, and, and I have to mention this now. In 2011, when I decided to publish the book in this format, although it had been written since 92, and it was in notebooks where I had typed up and it was very well laid out, just like it is basically here. Mm -hmm. But in 2011, when I decided to publish it in this format, one of Kiamsha's alumni, Melvet Melvin Davis, had just completed her PhD in African-American literature mm -hmm. and had decided to become a publisher. Wow. So, and Kiamsha alumni published this book for me. Listen. I mean, it's just so incredible. <laughs> this is see, that's one of the reasons I wanted you on the show. I, I knew a good good amount of what you you've shared with the audience today. And I knew that not only were you a demonstration and a provider of information and inspiration for living a magnificent life. Because see, I don't know how magnificent any life is without knowing your past. That that that's another state of being called amnesia. <laughs> which is a pathology and is, uh, it's diagnosable for a reason. So this is one of the reasons I wanted you. And I'm so glad that you are on the show today, Barbara, because you give people the information, the inspiration and the demonstration because of who you are, having come up in the community with the kind of parentage and being raised in the way you, you have been. I know this because you constantly refer to it. That's a very powerful force in your life. I say that this is a part of our culture, Black culture, that has been ignored, that has been exchanged for other ways of being representative of other people and other cultures. And so it's very important that we recognize what works. Call it what you want, put whatever label you, you want to put on it. This way of being works for our people and, so, and other people as well. And so we're going to transition again in just a minute, I want you to know that this is a two-part podcast. So stay with us and make sure you get part two, because then you will see the pieces come together in a more complete understanding of the power of history, the power of actually standing on what you know, following cultural trends that work. In this instance, African, African-American ways of interacting with our children, the intergenerational gem that it is, no generational gaps here, but following that as a medium to actually crafting the life that you choose. And before, again, we transition into podcast two, I ask this audience, how many of you as parents and grandparents have a book on a shelf that might, as Barbara indicated a little earlier, that might serve as a portal to one of the young people in your life, a portal to their best self? Barbara Spencer talked about how she walked past a library shelf and saw the book uh, written by Carter G. Woodson, Miseducation of the Negro, and asked about it. If you haven't a book on your shelf, make sure you have a book on your shelf that might have that same or similar outcome. Because, you know, here on the Blacknificent Life Show, we talk about not only what has happened to others, but how we can step into those lessons. That's one lesson that I want to underscore. Uh, the other lesson I'd like to underscore is that much of the history that Barbara speaks to, that Asala actually has codified and presented to the world as curriculum, 
in the seminal works of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. How much of that is actually taught in schools? Well, we often hear the criticisms about what is taught in school, and, and absolutely they should be. And here on the Black Magnificent Life Show, we want to remind you that it's our responsibility to teach it in the homes, first and foremost. So take these two lessons, if you might, as accompaniments to this particular conversation. We thank you for being with us. And meet us on the other side for part two, where we're going to dig in and we're going to really, really, really fortify an understanding of how the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History, how Carter G. Woodson actually spawned all of this conversation in the first place. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you for podcast number two. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Blacknificent Life Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our email list at www.blacknificentlife.com. And whatever you do, be sure to consciously, consistently, and courageously craft your own Blacknificent Life. Until next time.